0: Hi everyone, you're listening to Infectious Ideas, a podcast series presented by the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases, the NFID, where leading experts join us for thought-provoking conversations that lead to infectious ideas. Guests include humble heroes and future leaders working together towards a shared vision of healthier lives through effective prevention and treatment.
1: Welcome to the NFID podcast, Infectious Ideas. This is Marla Dalton, NFID Executive Director and CEO, and with me is my co-host, NFID Medical Director, Dr. Bill Schaffner. Today's guest is a well-known expert on vaccines and effective communications, Patsy Stinchfield. A pediatric nurse practitioner specializing in vaccine-preventable diseases, Patsy currently has an affiliate faculty position at the University of Minnesota School of Nursing. Previously, she served as Senior Director of Infection Prevention and Control at Children's Minnesota, where she led the hospital's response to COVID-19, the H1N1 influenza pandemic, and the 2017 measles outbreaks. She is also the current president of NFID. So Patsy, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you.
1: So clearly, you've had some interesting experiences. To get us started, can you share what really first inspired you to specialize in infectious diseases?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I think partly I've had a lot of these diseases. I had measles, I had mumps, I'm old enough to say. I had uh, hepatitis A when I was in junior high. It made me think a lot about germs. And in grad school, I really wasn't going to be in infectious disease. I was doing my... Uh, thesis on diabetes education because I liked educating. And then I worked at a children's hospital uh, in Utah where one after another, we were seeing kids die from uh, meningitis, Haemophilus influenza B mostly. I saw kids go home that they survived their meningitis, but didn't have hearing. It was in the room, you know, when parents learned that their baby was not going to be able to hear, and I just thought, oh, this is so terrible. There's, there's got to be some more that we can do. I was just moved personally by it. And then uh, working at the Children's Hospital in Minnesota, uh, same thing. Just you know, measles outbreak in 1990. Knowing that you know three children died there, uh, I was it was my first year as a nurse practitioner in infectious disease practicing clinician, and just thought, you know, we have to do more than be ready with our ventilators to plug in. We have to move upstream and teach parents not to omit vaccines and to to really use our prevention tools that we
0: have. So Patsy, uh, those of us who work in public health often talk about vaccines strangely being victims of their own success. Most parents and many pediatricians and nurses, particularly the younger crowd, today have never seen a case of measles or other diseases that are now rare thanks to vaccines. Because people don't fear what they can't see. Many don't appreciate the need for vaccines. So the difficult question is: How do we address that complacency?
2: It's a great question, Bill. And I, I think those of us in infectious disease, in pediatrics, family practice—those of us who have seen these diseases and what they can do—we we carry a heavier burden. We've got to be able to communicate not only to parents and, and individuals choosing to to vaccinate themselves and their children um, but we've got to educate the next generation of clinicians and it's it, you don't have that emotional piece when you're just reading about a disease and looking at a rash is this chickenpox is this measles and so our our job really is to you know impress upon people that these can be potentially life-threatening diseases they have cute names like chickenpox, but they can be uh, fatal. They can cause encephalitis, long term disabilities. I think our, our challenge really is to not just have outbreaks. It used to be, you know, uh, my experience has been a lot with measles, that measles, an outbreak really changes behavior. But we can't rely on that to sort of say, oh, wow, this is what measles does. I, I should have prevented this. We have to make sure that we continue to educate, uh, to inspire, to role model and to, to lead people into knowing that this is one of the, the best areas of medicine in terms of well-studied, more research, more transparency around how we, we approve vaccines and uh, make sure that that next generation of both parents and clinicians are not complacent.
0: And I would include the clinicians because it's my impression that as I interact with young medical students, uh, obviously they haven't themselves experienced, for example, measles and know very little about it. It's a name on a page and they may have heard, oh, everybody used to get measles. When I tell them that before we had vaccine, that in the United States, 500 children each year. Died of measles and its complications, their jaws drop. Right. So, uh, just reinforcing what you were saying, those of us who uh, <clears throat> have been around a little longer ha- and have seen these illnesses really have a responsibility to put them into perspective, to let this next generation know that they were not trivial back in the bad old days, and those were much worse old days so true
1: yeah you know i think these stories really do matter and so you know patsy as a layperson and a mom myself one of the things i've really always admired about you is your skill in communicating so clearly and with such empathy so can you share how you really learned and honed that important skill with us
2: Mm, well, thank you for that, Marla. Well, I, I, I'm a third-generation Irish American, so I think storytelling comes with the genes. We'll start there. <laughs> um, but also, I I have to say that I learned, you know, in in nursing school as you know a freshman first first-year person, you you take therapeutic communication, which really is listen first. And I think that's one of the common tenets in vaccine education too, is you've got to listen to what people's concerns are. But most of all, I have learned how to communicate with others through my patients. So being in pediatrics, you have to think first about where they are developmentally. What level of detail does a two-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 20-year-old need as you're describing HIV? I took care of kids with HIV. HIV, I had to explain to them what their diagnosis was. I had uh, primary immune deficient children who, uh, you know, trying to explain a technical uh, aspect as how does your immune system work to a six-year-old is, that'll challenge you. I also um, have had the great pleasure of working in in, uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis area, where we have lots of newcomers to the United States. So working with people who have speak different languages. And so you're working through an interpreter. You really just have to get your, your message clear and simple.
0: You know, Patsy, unfortunately, thinking about that, those diverse populations, not only here in the United States, but around the world, vaccine hesitancy, skepticism remains an issue. What do you wish more people understood about vaccines to help overcome this hesitancy?
2: I really think that the hesitancy is a, a lack of real information. So if we can educate more but with both the knowledge, that sort of intellectual aspect of it, not just data, I think a little bit of data is important, but sort of intellectually what it is, but emotionally too is, you know, that's where parents and intensive care units have said to me, you know, why didn't I know that chickenpox could do this? Why didn't I know that? meningitis could be this bad? Why did I skip vaccines? So having that sort of thinking about what is the reason they're hesitating, helping them understand that that actually is not a passive thing to, to hesitate and skip vaccines. It is an active process that could have high risks with it, especially now as we're vaccinating the young children five and under against COVID, people will be hesitant because it's new, it may seem foreign to them. And our job is to really just sort of listen to where the root of their hesitancy is, and then um, talk through that with them.
0: I like that. And I like the fact that you emphasize first, listen, and Mm -hmm. then respond to that individual's concern. Right. Right. Now speaking of concerns, COVID-19 certainly remains a public health threat if not an issue, but there are many other challenges facing public health today. As in your role as president of NFID, what are your top priorities for the organization?
2: Well, I'm very proud to have this role. I'm very proud to serve NFID in this capacity. I've been a volunteer with this foundation for many, many years. And I just feel like the mission matches my life's work hand in glove as far as, you know, what are the infectious diseases, how do we prevent them? And my goals are really to work with the team and emphasize the young children, adolescents. I'm concerned about other vaccine-preventable diseases re-emerging, such as measles, probably our first one. We've heard of a polio case recently. Uh, We've really got to step up our messaging around all vaccines to stay on schedule. So that is a priority. I'd love to work with uh, the immune deficiency communities because that's a population near and dear to my heart. They have some special considerations. Uh, I'm really excited about this being NFID's 50th anniversary. I think that is very special and we've got some great things planned and we'll be working together on that. And then last, I'm really proud to be the first person in 50 years from the nursing profession to lead as president. Um, And I really hope to emphasize that interprofessional collaboration is what gets us to complete our goals successfully when we do it together.
0: Bravo. Bravo.
1: Amen. (laughs) And I think, I think Patsy, we feel really lucky to have you in this role as well. I'm going to ask you the question that I, that I love to ask and that I hate to ask, but, but um, what really keeps you awake at night these days, Patsy? Yeah, I am.
2: I'm so concerned about social media and its negative influence. I think it can be so helpful, but we saw throughout COVID and the COVID vaccine implementation process, how negative it has been that the scare tactics to parents to not vaccinate their children, you know, that trying to talk people out of something that we know has been well-researched and and is just founded in such good science and that we've given, you know, over 600 million doses of COVID vaccine. I just am really worried. It seems so large. How do we, how do we impact this, this beast of misinformation and its impact not only related to COVID uh, 19 disease, but also to other vaccine preventable diseases. We have a big, big task ahead of us. That that worries me.
1: Rightly so. Sadly, a lot of sleepless nights. I guess before we sign off, Patsy, I'll give you the lob and the softball and ask you what is the biggest myth that you'd most like to bust?
2: Well I think the in the vaccine space of course is that you know we're we're all in some collusion together public health, pediatricians, those who care for adults, healthcare, that we're we're all in some collusion and making money off of vaccines. I mean, it's, it's just nonsensical to, to think that. I think the myth is that, you know, these vaccines are, you know, really to profit a manufacturer or that they aren't well-studied. You know, those are just wrong. You know, I've had the great honor of being on the advisory committee for immunization practices and meeting people like Bill, who's also been my communication mentor. And like you, Marla, who are, de- these are people who have dedicated their lives for one reason, and that is to make sure that, people stay healthy the the people who are in this business are led by their hearts. They they care deeply about our communities, our health, our public health, the people at the CDC. I, I've been on many work groups there. The same thing. These are well-intentioned people. And uh, the vaccines just are, as I said, you know, are the top studied uh, medical inf- intervention that we have. And we just got to break that myth that they're somehow dangerous. They're not. They're important. We wouldn't recommend something to people that we wouldn't give to our own family and give to ourselves that things that were not safe, we recommend those that have been well-studied and are effective and needed. Today, we've
0: been channeling our nation, one of our nation's founders, Benjamin Franklin, who reminded us that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. We've been talking about prevention through vaccination. As I like to say, disease bad, vaccines good. And we've also reinforce the importance of listening carefully and communicating clearly as we try to persuade as many people as possible to get themselves and their children vaccinated. We've been talking today with Patsy Stinchfield, NFID president and nationally known expert on vaccines and effective communications, as well as pediatric infectious diseases. Thank you for listening to this episode of Infectious Ideas. You can follow, like, share, and download episodes on all streaming platforms, as well as find us at NFID.org with links to our social channels. We love hearing from listeners, so send us any questions, comments, or concerns that may be infecting your mind.